Hello, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Kathy Morgan, a research fellow within the NIHR Greater Manchester Patient Safety Research Collaboration at the University of Manchester, and Professor Carolyn Chu Graham, a GP and Professor of General Practice Research at Keele University. We're discussing this interesting paper that they've published in the BJGP alongside others titled Identifying Prior Signals of Bipolar Disorder Using Primary Care Electronic Health Records. So thanks, Kathy and Carolyn, for both joining me here today to discuss this research. We've, we've seen a lot of research recently from areas such as primary care cancer about electronic health record signals before a cancer diagnosis. But your paper takes this approach to mental health and bipolar disorder specifically. But just to set the scene here, what do we know already about the diagnosis of bipolar disorder and delays in diagnosis in primary care? Do you want me to take that, Cathy? Yeah, yeah, go on. You could do the technical bits. Yeah. Yeah, so bipolar disorder is often diagnosed nine to ten years after people first present with symptoms. So the Bipolar Commission um, did a report and they're, they're actually running a campaign now to say we've got to increase awareness of bipolar. People need to get an earlier diagnosis because the delay in diagnosis means that there's an increased risk of suicide, People's families break down, uh, people may fall out of work. And once you can get people on treatment, get a diagnosis, then you can rectify that and you can reduce the risk of suicide, you can reduce the risk of breakdown in relationships. And this study aimed to look at potential signals amongst people later diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So, what was the aim here and what was the approach that you used here? So, um, we actually, through looking at previous research and expert opinion, and also, more importantly, our patient advisory group on potential signals or symptoms that could be related to bipolar disorder. And what we do did, we, we set about looking at primary care health records and also secondary care health records to look at those frequencies and timings of the signals before the bipolar disorder diagnosis. So we're able to get a real feel for where the incidents were increasing before diagnosis and uh, and what sort of symptoms were being reported. And you compared that then against people who hadn't been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so I just wanted to start by looking at those results. Um, yeah, and just focusing on those findings around mental health, self-harm and addiction. What did you find here? So with the self-harm and suicidal um, ideation, we found that there was an increased risk well, the, the incidence was frequent as early as 10 years before um, the diagnosis date or the index date. And around sort of three to five years before the index date, those people with bipolar disorder were eight times more likely to have harmed themselves or had suicidal thoughts that were recorded in their, their notes compared to those that hadn't had a bipolar disorder diagnosis. And with drug and alcohol misuse, uh, we found, again, that those rates we could see were quite high 10 years before the index date. And this persisted. uh, And at one year, those people uh, with bipolar disorder were eight times more likely to have experienced alcohol misuse or six times uh, a drug misuse. So we can see that collectively, those would be 
important signals for GPs to take note of and, and think possibly bipolar disorder. And these aren't small differences we're talking about. These are quite marked differences between the people with bipolar disorder and the controls. So quite a strong signal coming from the data as such. Yeah. And we can see that um, as people aren't being uh, treated or supported, then other social issues come into play. And that's probably what we're seeing there. And people are consulting more frequently. So the people who have bipolar disorder have more frequent health service contacts. So again, that's another signal for GPs to think, why is this person keep coming back? Why, you know, I think they've got treatment resistant depression or that I think they've got personality problems. We need to start thinking as GPs, actually, could this be bipolar? And that links on to another thing that you looked at in this study, which was missed appointments, which also linked in with their use of primary care. So what did you find here? Yeah, so we found a significant difference between those missing schedule appointments. And although the medium number around consultations compared to those without was, was quite variable, it was still an important sort of signal to, to note. And that those with bipolar disorder were four times more likely to miss scheduled appointments compared to controls. And as Carolyn's pointed out, some of the issues around increased consultation rates might be because of failure of treatment. So treatment resistant depression, things that we're doing in primary care just aren't working. What do you think are some of the other drivers of missed appointments as well? I mean, I think it probably reflects people's difficulties in maintaining a a routine, difficulties maintaining schedules, having a bit of chaotic life, but also maybe not having much faith in the health service because they're seeking help and they're not getting it. They may not have thought themselves that they've got bipolar disorder. So it is up to GPs to think, could this be bipolar? So Mm. being aware of all the signals that, that you may see when you're looking at a patient's records. I think that there might be a problem in that we've got poorer continuity now. And so people tend to have more frequent transactional consultations across the board. And I think unless you have the time to reflect and have a look down the previous year's consultations before you see or speak to somebody, we may be missing where well, we are missing them. Mm, and I suppose there's a risk that people who are missing consultations with GPs or practitioners who don't know them well might just fall off the radar rather than being followed up. Yeah. And some practices will have a policy whereby they write out to people, sorry, you missed your consultation. And perhaps all practices need to have a look at that, you know, or at least have a look if a person's missed your consultation rather than thinking, oh, thank goodness, I can catch up now. Think, do we need to worry about this patient? And we know we've seen that in people with physical health problems and multimorbidity and people in areas of socioeconomic deprivation, that they have poorer outcomes if they're missing appointments and when we're seeing that here. And then you also looked at prescribing and you looked specifically at prescribing for antidepressants and antipsychotics as well. So what did you find here in terms of differences between those with bipolar disorder and those who didn't? Yeah, so the antidepressants and antipsychotics were more likely to be recorded in patients with bipolar disorder. And that was really marked within sort of the trend over over time. But what was interesting was that we also looked in how many of the psychotropic medications different classes were taken within one year, the same year. So we found that those with bipolar disorder were eight times more likely to be prescribed three or more of the different classes of psychotropic medication in that same year, which included 
antidepressants, antipsychotics, benzodiazepines and, and said drugs. Mm. So, so people are consulting yeah. frequently, possibly with different GPs and getting different medications because they've still got symptoms, they're not settling, and the, the GP response is, well, I'll prescribe something different. There is an issue here, as you point out in the paper, about thresholds to referral to community mental health teams. And this, I'm mentioning this now because of these so-called treatment failures in primary care. But do you want to comment on this further and how might issues with referral impact this population in particular? So so I think the Bipolar Commission called for greater awareness amongst GPs to think about bipolar and to make a referral. But as a GP, I experience problems in trying to refer people. And so if, as a GP, you refer a couple of people and you get a letter back that says they don't meet the referral criteria or give them some sertraline and if they become manic, they'll go to in the emergency department. As a GP, you think, oh, I better not refer anymore. I'm not going to get people seen. So then... For me, I, I don't really want to mention it to a patient because I don't want to raise their hopes that, well, I think they've got bipolar, but I know I'm not going to be able to get them seen. So until we've got agreed referral criteria that allow us to refer for, a, you know, does this person have bipolar? That's the question I want answering because as a GP, I can't answer that. But if I can't ask my specialist care team that, if the referral is going to be rejected, it isn't fair on the patient. And patients, some patients will come in and say, I think I might have bipolar. And I'll take a careful history. And sometimes I think, gosh, I think you might. But then I have to say to them, I'm going to refer you to the specialist care team, to psychiatry, and I hope that they will see you. But I always say to them, but I'm not sure whether they will because the threshold in in the, the area I work is really high. So I have to set people up right at the beginning of that process to they may not be seen. And that can be quite frustrating, especially as you say, if you've got patients where you have a high suspicion of index. Mm. I suppose all in all, this analysis has looked at these potential signals prior to diagnosis with bipolar disorder. But how would you envisage these results being used in the future? Do you think that there's any scope for something like a prediction rule or how do you see this being used? I think prediction rules are tricky, aren't they? As GPs, we've got lots of yellow triangles and red circles and please do this and please do that. Um, sometimes we ignore them in consultations. There isn't a prediction tool at the moment, but there is a a scale called the Mood Scale Mood Tracker app. Um, And it is worth getting patients to have a look at that, to try it themselves. I think really it's about GPs having an awareness. So if somebody comes in and you think they might have treatment-resistant depression or they're frequently attending and you're not quite sure what's going on, Ask them what they think. Ask, particularly for treatment-resisted depression, have you had episodes where you felt really happy? Because actually, if you if you have depression, but you do get episodes where things are fine, you're not going to report that because it's great. Unless you end up in trouble because you've got mania and, and, and end up either with the police or in, in the emergency department, actually, it might be quite productive that you can write your essay for university or you can work through the night on whatever thing you've got to do. So really ask about, have you had these episodes where you felt very high, very good, maybe whether you've overspent? And I think importantly, ask about family history, because we know that if there's a strong family history, that's a risk factor. But then as a GP, look at the patient's records, look how many consultations they've had 
over the last few years, look at the prescribing patterns and just think, could this be bipolar? But then also, I think having to put pressure on commissioners to say, this is an area where we all could do better. It's not just GPs aren't being aware, aren't making the diagnosis, aren't thinking about the diagnosis. We need support from specialist care to make the diagnosis. Mm. So some feedback there, not only for GPs, but also for commissioners as well to take forward from the results. And I often ask at this point, if you had one message to give to GPs as a result of this study, what would that be? But I think, Carolyn, you've answered that to some extent. It's it's think, could it be bipolar? Yeah. And if you could just summarise, Cathy or Carolyn, just what are the signals that GPs should be looking at just from this analysis? So could you just pick out sort of the bullet point signals that you found in this paper that GPs should be aware of? I think the psychotropic medication prescribing, um, the more than three within a year is a really important signal. I also think really early, more than 10 years before the diagnosis are things like the self-harm, the depressive symptoms. But also, I think it's looking at them communicative and collectively as to then thinking bipolar. Thank you. That's really helpful. And I just wondered if there are any other key findings from this paper that either of you wanted to touch upon. I think we've we've probably covered them, but I think the other key message is whenever there's a a DNA, a missed appointment, not just about bipolar, but we as GPs or as primary care clinicians should look and and think, do I need to do anything about this? this? Has this person missed appointments before? What's going on? What medication are they on? Do I need to reach out to them and say, please come back in? Um, And in cases where we think, you know, this is a treatment-resistant depression, or this is a personality d- disorder, or you know, they've they've had three classes of, of psychotropic medications. We should then be thinking, well, is this bipolar? Let's try and get them in and do a, a really good assessment, mm. and hope that, as you say, we can make the appropriate <laughs> referrals <laughs> that will get accepted by our colleagues in community mental health. Yeah, or having done the assessment think, well, actually, no, I can't find any evidence of mania, but at least have that discussion, have that have that thought. Mm, thank you. That's really helpful. Some really clear messages, I think, uh, there from both of you about what we should be looking for and how we can act on those as well. So thank you very much. And I think that's a great place to wrap things up. So I just really wanted to say thank you both for joining me here to talk about this paper. Brilliant. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And thank you all very much for your time here and for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. It's been great to chat to Carolyn and Kathy about this research and I hope you found it interesting. Thanks again and bye. Bye.